Hello, and welcome to another episode of Granite Justice, navigating civil legal issues in your daily life. I'm your host, Shane Cooper, an Associate Dean at the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Please remember as you listen, this podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing said here by either party constitutes legal advice of any kind or creates any attorney-client relationship between a listener and New Hampshire Legal Assistance or 603 Legal Aid or the UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. It is possible that the law has changed after recording this podcast episode where the information shared does not exactly fit with your specific situation. For the most up-to-date information or to get legal help, please visit 603legalaid.org. Hello, we're back for another episode of Granite Justice. And today we have Barbara Heggie, who runs the Low Income Taxpayer Project at 603 Legal Aid, where she's a supervising attorney. Now, Barbara, you've been with the tax project for about 12 years and have seen a lot of changes. So we're really glad to have you here to share your perspective and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Shane. I'm very happy to be here. So, Barbara, what exactly is a low-income taxpayer project? Well, a low-income taxpayer project is a kind of legal aid clinic for people facing problems with the IRS. And the low-income taxpayer clinic program is nationwide. Almost every state has at least one of these clinics. Some of them are in legal aid organizations. Some of them are standalone clinics. And several of them are housed in law schools or or business schools. The program itself is administered through the Taxpayer Advocate Service, which is a a kind of internal independent watchdog group within the, the IRS, sort of like an ombuds program. And the funding for the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic program comes through Congress uh, directly for the purpose of helping low-income people who are facing problems with the IRS. And sometimes I think that it's easier for Congress to fund legal aid tax clinics than it is to amend the Internal Revenue Code to the point where such legal aid help wouldn't be needed. But I'm very happy for the the opportunity to do the work I do, and it's been a pleasure to to be doing it now, going on about 12 years. Well, thanks for explaining that. And, and Barb, when you say the words uh, low income, I'm imagining there's certain rules about qualifying to even get the sort of support. Is, is that about right? That's right. Yes. Generally, we can go up to 250% of the federal poverty line. And for a family of four, I believe that's about $65,000 of income a year. So it's it's somewhat generous. I feel that there's a large chunk of the New Hampshire population that could qualify for our services. But for the exact numbers, you could look up the federal poverty guidelines on the the internet. Or if you think that you might qualify or you're wondering if you do, you can call 603 Legal Aid to to find out. I see. And so if I'm someone that qualifies under the income rules based on the size of your family and being uh, up to 250% of the poverty rate, that might be the reason then come to see you for help. I guess when I think about IRS or tax issues, I'm in my mind, I have pictures of audits and huge boxes of documents. And is that the type of thing that you typically see? Or, or what are the main kind of problems that people face that come see you? That's definitely one of the the kinds of cases that, that we get here. 
it used to be that the most common kind of case actually was the situation of a person having a, a large tax debt from last year or the year before, maybe a whole bunch of years, and they just can't pay it. They're trying to figure out what to do. The IRS is threatening to levy their their income, maybe their social security benefits, or put a lien on property that they own. And they come to us looking for, for help with that. Sometimes all we need to do is set up a payment plan, an installment agreement. But for most of the clients, they can't even afford an installment agreement. What they need is to settle their debt with the IRS for whatever they're actually able to to pay. And sometimes what they're actually able to pay is next to nothing. And if you can document that fact, and yes, a lot of paperwork, <laughs> the, the IRS is generally very good about settling the debt and allowing the the taxpayer to have a, a clean start. But yes, we also have audit cases and those are typically for people who are claiming children on their their tax returns for various child-related tax benefits, such as the earned income tax credit, the child tax credit, head of household filing status. And if the IRS decides to, as they put it, examine your tax return, it can be overwhelming, confusing, and it can be extremely costly if you don't know what you're doing. So this is something that we have often helped people get through. Uh, we also sometimes have people who are self-employed coming in, facing an audit from the IRS because the, the IRS might not be so sure about the, the various expenses that are claimed on the, the Schedule C for a business, a sole proprietor kind of business. And we can help with that situation as well. Other kinds of cases include people who haven't filed tax return in many years. We can we can help them get back into compliance, as the, the IRS puts it, filing compliance and payment compliance. Um, I should mention that for current year tax return preparation, so for example, next February, if you wanted help getting your 2023 tax return done, we would not be the place to, to go. We help with problems for past years, including filing tax returns. But for the current year tax return preparation, there is a large network of free volunteer-run tax return preparation sites run by the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program or AARP Foundation Tax Aid sites. And during tax season in New Hampshire, you can find the nearest one by going to 211nh.org or calling 211. Other types of cases that come to us include worker misclassification. That is a kind of case where you are treated as an independent contractor for the work you do, but legally you should be treated as an employee. And of course, a lot of companies prefer to have independent contractors because that avoids the necessity of 
paying employment taxes for the employee earnings and other benefits. But if the worker is actually in the category of employee under the law, for example, the company provides all of their tools, tells them when to show up, provides all the the work and controls how it's done, then they really should be treated as an employee. And, And so sometimes we get people coming to us who have been treated as an independent contractor receiving a 1099 at the end of the year, and they just don't know what to do. All of a sudden, they have to pay employment taxes, or they think they do, and they're looking for help with that. One other category of cases that we sometimes get that is usually very poignant to to deal with, that is the innocent spouse case. That typically involves abuse in a marriage. And if the couple filed jointly and there's tax debt on that tax return, and if the tax debt was solely or mostly the responsibility of the abuser in the relationship, then if the abused spouse leaves the the marriage and has this tax liability in their name, the IRS sometimes will allow for that spouse, the abused spouse, to uh, not have to pay the the tax liability. As you as you probably all know, if you file a tax return jointly with your spouse, that means that you get all the the benefits from a joint tax return. But also, if there's a tax debt, you are responsible for the tax debt the same way that the other spouse is. And so that's why innocent spouse relief can, can be so valuable. In a lot of the abusive situations that I've seen, there is not just physical and emotional abuse. There's also financial abuse, and that can help the abuser retain control over the other spouse. And part of that financial abuse involves saddling that spouse with a large IRS tax liability, and that can make it difficult for that spouse to start a new life. And so Congress enacted a law a while ago allowing for relief from that kind of tax debt, and there is a process for requesting that. And it involves, as as with almost every tax case, a lot of documentation, but the results can be really wonderful. That kind of sums up the typical cases that we have had over the years, but more recently, a new kind of case that has come up is the missing stimulus payment case. I heard a lot of different people uh, being served in many different ways, and so I wanted to just touch base on that. The the first thing that came to mind was, and you you addressed it right away, was when I hear the words of low-income taxpayer project, I, I think I naturally gravitated to something I've personally familiar with in my past. I was a military JAG, so I remembered uh, we would run volunteer income tax uh, assistance programs, VITA, as you Oh, mentioned. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And so I think when you think of taxpayer projects, uh, at least it seems like it's a more common one, but it, I think it's helpful to clarify for the listener out there that there are other resources. If you're someone that needs help in filing taxes, 
but you may not necessarily be facing a current big problem, if you will, the things that your project will tackle. So I just wanted to repeat for the listener, make sure I have it correctly. You could call 211 or you could visit 211nh.org if you're someone in need of help of filing a current tax claim or tax um, filing for the upcoming year, but you don't necessarily have a problem to deal with. Is that right? That is right. Thank you for repeating that. There's so many people who aren't aware that they can get their their tax return done for free if their income is moderate or, or low. And if their if their tax situation is not too complicated. But for for most working families who have I believe the the maximum right now is about $70,000 per year in income. For those people in that financial category, they can get their tax return done for free by by well-trained volunteers. And I and I, I can tell that you understand how well-trained the volunteers are because you've gone through that. And I've done the, the volunteering also, and it's rigorous. You have to pass several tests. And if you do, then you're certified by the IRS as a volunteer preparer. And each tax return done by one of these sites is looked over by at least two volunteers with all the training that's necessary. So the accuracy rate for VITA and tax aid is generally a good deal higher than for most of the the big business tax return preparation companies and not to not to diss those those big business tax return preparation companies they they uh, provide a, a valuable service and all the independent CPAs and CPA firms and enrolled agents they do wonderful work but if your tax situation is not super complicated and your income is low there is a place to go to get your tax return done for free. And I'm so happy that you've uh, been able to highlight that on the time that we have together. I think it's good for the large group out there to uh, that may not be facing these huge problems, but just needs to be able to get to a resource for filing. It's good to know that it's out there. So call 211 for those that are out there that it applies to. So then let me move to the ones that your project works on and helping people that are really facing from what I've heard here just some really serious issues that would, I imagine, very stressful. And so you mentioned the one category I heard was someone has a large tax debt built up, and then it sounds like you're the place that someone could go for that support. And it sounds like one of those categories, if I understand it, could possibly be even an innocent spouse. So someone involved. Is that a common one that you see when you have someone walk in the door with a huge tax bill? What you then may see is that there's an innocent spouse relief opportunity in those cases. It's not hugely common, but every year we see a a handful of of such cases. And here at 603 Legal Aid, we have a department or a program called the Domestic Violence Emergency Project that works with domestic violence survivors and victims and we sometimes have clients in common. And it's it's really helpful to have both of these projects under the same roof because we can work together and work with other parts of 603 Legal Aid. It's a, it's a team approach. We have family law attorneys, housing specialists. So as most people probably 
are aware, when somebody has one kind of legal problem, they often have others. So somebody who is facing domestic violence may have an immediate need for stable housing, and they may also have need for a protective order, and they might have a need for help with a divorce, maybe child support, and they may have a tax problem. And having all the, the legal resources under one roof can, can help people move forward in as efficient an efficient way as possible. I, I say that with a, a bit of a grimace because any legal work tends to take a lot of time. And anyone who's had any kind of dealings with the IRS probably understands that it can take a very long time. Well, you, you as we talked about the this particular angle with victims of uh, domestic violence, you know, you may not be aware of this, right? But uh, as I have been recording other podcasts uh, with an NHLA, we had a previous guest, uh, Aaron Jacina, here, and so as I start to, and we talked about protective orders. So as you start to weave together these podcast episodes, which the audience will get to listen to down the road, it's a really interesting point that you raise about how there's a whole framework of support. For someone going through. And I remember at the time, Aaron, discussing this concept of financial abuse. And here we are now talking about how that may manifest in the tax burden piece and then what your team can do to support. So it's really good to hear how there are different departments, if you will, or different services that could be provided that would provide perhaps the whole solution, if you will, or as much as we can. And yeah, yeah. And we can work together pretty quickly to come up with a, a game plan that will work the best for the client. Even if the resolutions can take a long time to play out, we can figure out what to do pretty quickly to, to help things move forward in the, the right way. And, and of course, we, we work with NHLA frequently, daily, because they have so many resources in addition to what we can provide. And as you probably heard from Emma Sisti, on a podcast not too long ago, our pro bono director and um, deputy director for the whole 603 Legal Aid program, um, we have a pro bono department for cases that we can't handle in-house because there are only so many of us in here. And having the involvement of volunteer attorneys and CPAs and enrolled agents return preparers, all of these volunteers can can increase our reach and our ability to 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 help more and more people. Of course there's there's always a a shortage of resources, whether the resources are in-house or in the the pool of our generous volunteers. But we we do our best and we're and we're always striving to to help more people. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I'd like to pivot to a different topic of, of, of the class of, of people that you said that you would assist here at the project. And what caught my interest is you had mentioned uh, those out there that haven't filed for their taxes in several years and how you help um, those involved. Perhaps could you speak to a little bit about what impacts that that has on a person when they haven't filed for years and that whole process of just essentially getting back into the system of filing and the benefits of that? 
Oh, thank you for asking this question. This is this is something that I'm really happy to talk about because there are a lot of people out there who haven't been filing tax returns and feel like there's no way out. They, they don't know where to go. They might feel a little shame or they're worried what the consequences might be. And, and some of the consequences of not filing a tax return, not coming forward, can range from not being able to, to help a, a, a son or a daughter to, to file for financial aid because if they're going to, to um, college because they, they need to have tax returns from their their parents or to to get a loan they don't have any tax returns and if they don't file a tax return and they're eligible for child related tax benefits they might actually be losing out on thousands of dollars a lot of us will think about the the possible tax debt that will come from not filing tax returns but the other flip side of of this issue is that there are many people out there who are missing out on the earned income tax credit or the child tax credit or for the past couple of years the the stimulus payments and you can't get them unless you file a tax return and you only have a limited amount of time to to claim these benefits it's um, generally three years from the date the tax return was due so For example, tax benefits from 2019 were not available to people after April 15th of of this year. The the tax returns were originally due 2020, and so then you add three years, it's 2023. And so for all those people out there who could have gotten child-related tax benefits, that is that's just off the table now. And so now we're starting to look at 2020. So Barbara, from what I've heard so far about those that are in that situation of not filing for years, your answer is really helpful because I was trying to put myself in that same situation. It feels to me like if I missed one year and not knowing what the consequences are, it almost feels like, okay, I'm out. Uh, I, I won't file the next year and the next year. And then it would just build up over time. And as you described, it has all sorts of consequences, uh, maybe lack of access to loans, the inability to help your child if you're trying to fill out for financial aid. But what I'm also hearing is that in many of the cases, you've likely learned that the person was entitled to a refund or there was a credit they didn't claim. And so there's money that might be actually due to them if they were to have filed. Is that about right? That's right. That's right. And that reminds me of one of my my first cases I ever had. It was a, a family with a a disabled veteran and three children, and they were living in a friend's garage because there was no disability money coming in yet. They were waiting, and they had a levy on on income because of not filing tax returns for a few years. There were a few W-2s, so the IRS knew there was some income and wound up preparing tax returns for them, not claiming any dependents because the IRS doesn't know whether you have children for a particular year and and saddling the the husband in this family with a large tax debt. And that was what he and his wife came to to me about. But when we were all done, we realized that not only did 
he not owe anything, but filing jointly with his wife, claiming their three children, they were entitled to thousands of dollars in child-related tax credits. And all told for three years, they received over $14,000 and they were able to move into an apartment and life was just radically different. It was incredibly gratifying and that sealed it for me more than anything else thinking, Oh, okay, this, this really means something. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with this. Oh my, yeah, that is, that is life-changing. And, and you're not the IRS, right? So if I'm in that situation and I haven't filed for a few years, I don't know the, what I don't know. It seems to me it's sensible to at least walk in to see you ask these questions and you, you may not have that tremendous outcome every time, but it's very well possible that there may be money due to you, not the other way around. That's right. And if somebody does wind up with a tax debt, we can help the client deal with that, whether it's through a payment plan or an offering compromise to try to settle the debt for whatever someone's able to pay. There are different ways of dealing with it. And as the Taxpayer Advocate Service always says, the the worst thing you can do is nothing at all. It's easy to kind of freeze when you get one of those IRS letters, put your head in the sand, just try to block it out of your mind because it's overwhelming and confusing and all of that. Um, but if you come forward, there are ways to to deal with any of the issues that come up. Oh, thanks, Barbara. I, I think I just wrote that down. That'll stick with me. This is applicable in so many other things. You just said the worst thing to do is nothing at all. Yeah, um, I'll be remembering that for a few days. So thank you for that. Uh, the uh, let's move forward and talk about other possible money that may be out there. You'd mentioned missing stimulus payments, and I yes. think there may be deadlines coming. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. Yes. For for 2020, you might remember that there were two stimulus payments that came out, a total of $1,800, and. For, for people who didn't get it automatically, the only way to claim it is by filing a 2020 tax return. And the deadline for, for claiming that, that money is three years from the due date of the 2020 tax return. So it'll be, because of the pandemic, it'll be May 17, 2024. That will be the deadline. And I have a lot of clients now trying to to claim that money before it's too late. And also for 2021, for that year, the, the amount was $1,400. And uh, right now, most of my, my clients seeking help this way are incarcerated people because they were less likely to be in the IRS system already. And therefore, they didn't get the stimulus payments automatically. And for many of them who are getting ready to re-enter society, as, as we say, having a couple thousand dollars in the bank is a tremendous benefit, if not necessity, to a stable life. And for so many of the, the clients in this category, they had suffered from substance abuse disorder. And if they are released without any kind of support, then it's it's so much more likely that they will relapse and that's not good for anybody. So helping people incarcerated receive the stimulus payment payments that they're entitled to receive 
helps everybody. And, and I'm, I'm very happy to be working with this group of people. Well, and thanks for raising attention to that, because I think what I'm taking away from what you said is that when those stimulus payments were going out, those that were already in the tax system, if you will, they, they were taken care of. But what you're, what you're seeing then, as I understand it, is a significant portion of the population that may not have been in the system for one reason or another, who don't even know this is out there, but now they're coming to you or the ones you know about or the ones that know about this are coming to you to, to go out and claiming claiming this uh, money. That's right. Yeah. Unfortunately, it seems that the, the people who are most in need of the stimulus payments are often the ones who are least likely to get it. People who are so poor that they have not been filing tax returns and some people who are disabled, but not disabled in a way that allows them to receive Social Security disability insurance benefits or SSI. They're just not in the system. And if you're incarcerated for a few years, you're not very likely to be filing tax returns either. So the IRS just didn't know about this large group of people. And well, thank you for sharing that. And I, I'd like to pivot to a different topic, uh, partly as you were talking about it before you talked about that you run into people that are self-employed who are facing audits. So you help them with that. And you also raise this concept of worker misclassification where they're treated as independent contractors receiving 1099. So am I confusing the two concepts that those are related in any way or are they two just separate matters completely? They can be related, but often they are separate matters. So if you are actually self-employed, not wrongly treated as such, but you really are a self-employed person, you know, for example, a, a building subcontractor, then you'll you'll very likely be receiving 1099s at the end of the year. And you need to, if you're a sole proprietor, you need to file a Schedule C with your your tax return listing all your income and all your expenses, including mileage and things like that. And sometimes the IRS will examine a tax return with a Schedule C and question the the expenses that you list. Because of course, the more expenses that you list, the, the lower your taxable income. Um, so the IRS sometimes will audit people for that. But there are some people who get 1099s who shouldn't be getting 1099s at all. And they really should have been getting W-2s. It is possible for, for someone getting a 1099 wrongly to go ahead and file a tax return with a Schedule C, and then the IRS could audit them. I, I've had a couple of clients in that position where it looks at first that the only issue is the audit, the examination of the expenses on a Schedule C. But then once you get talking to the client more about their whole situation, you realize, oh my goodness, they should never have been issued a 1099. They 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 shouldn't have to file a, a Schedule C and fill out all their expenses. They, they should have been treated as a, a W-2 employee. So then we have to handle the audit while we're trying to take care of the misclassification issue, which is a, a whole different procedure. And so you deal with each one as it comes. And, and then as usually happens with any of these cases, you just keep at it with the IRS on all levels and 
uh, eventually it'll all settle out that our, you know, sometimes we have to wait for one part of the IRS to communicate properly with another part of the IRS because their, their IT systems are, are so ancient. We cannot always count on one unit knowing what's happening in another unit. Well, thank you for laying that out. And so we talked about a number of different ways, a number of different situations someone is facing in the in this sort of tax consequences world um, and how they can use your services. I, I, I think I need to back up and ask one basic question. When and how would someone call you for help or get into the front door with you, so to speak? Oh, thank you for asking. There are two ways. People can either call the intake line at 603 Legal Aid, and that number is 603-224-3300. And the intake line is open Monday through Thursday, I believe, 9 to 2. But 24-7, people can apply for assistance online at 603legalaid.org. Great. I'm glad that we get that basic information out. Now that they know uh, that this project exists and how they can get that help where it fits their situation, they know who to call and how to do it. Now, I'm, I'm obviously, some would know this, I'm connected to the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law, so I have some foreknowledge of the question I'll ask next uh, for you, but could you talk a little bit about what's in the future? Yes, the yes. Thank you for asking. I'm so excited about this. I'll be teaching a federal tax low-income practicum. I believe the official title of the course is Federal Low-Income Taxpayer Practicum at the, the law school starting this fall, and it looks like I'll have six students in my, my first class, and I will be supervising them as they represent clients before the IRS. I'll be teaching them about working with clients and case management, all of that, and, and I'll be involving them in the low-income taxpayer clinic program, which has three missions. The, the first one, of course, is to represent people who are, are low income and facing IRS problems. But the other two are education and advocacy. Education is mainly geared towards people who are new to this country and speak English as a second language. So part of my work involves teaching refugees the basics of the American tax system. And that's incredibly rewarding because the people who come to these classes really want to know how our system works and what they need to do and what the benefits are of being in the tax system. And then advocacy is a wonderful part of our work, and that involves trying to advocate for systemic change, not, not doing any lobbying. We're not allowed to do any lobbying, but if somebody involved with a low-income taxpayer clinic sees a systemic issue involving how the IRS carries out the, the tax laws, then there is a way to advocate for, for change. And actually, anyone can do this at the Taxpayer Advocate Service website, and it's taxpayeradvocateservice.org. And systemic advocacy would be the search term and then you are taken to a portal that allows you to basically file a complaint. And it would not be 
about something that only you experience, but a systemic problem, something that you realize many, many people are experiencing because of a problem in the administration of our federal tax laws. So that's really exciting to hear, particularly, obviously, on a personal note, being connected with the law school. I'm just so excited for those six uh, initial students that are going to be with you this fall, learning these these things. Now, they'll be helping with the representation of people. Do you, do you foresee that they'll have a role in the education and advocacy piece that you described, or is that a separate? Yes, yes. I want them to be part of that as well. Well, that's outstanding. So I am really excited to see you here on campus in the near future. By the time this podcast goes out, you'll probably be in the middle of it with our students involved. And anything we can do to provide for practical training and experience for our students is wonderful. But this is really like a win-win-win, win for you, a win for the project, win for the students in education, and most importantly for the community out there at large that will get the, not just one of you, but now six more students under your supervision. I feel that way too. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, that's great. Uh, So this is a lot of wonderful information you shared today. Let me just uh, get uh, close to closing by asking if there's anything else that uh, we didn't cover that you might want to share or leave our listeners uh, with. No, I as as I said before we we started this this recording, I could talk tax all day long. I love I love talking about the tax clinic and what it can provide, but to to close out, I would suggest that people go to 603legalaid.org and and see what we can offer people. And also the taxpayeradvocateservice.org website. There's just a ton of of useful information on that website. That's great. And Barbara, I'm going to confess when I knew we would be talking about taxes today, I did not I did not share the same enthusiasm you have, but <laughs> you you may have turned me. I've learned a lot yes. here in in the short amount of time that we spent together, and I'm really excited to to see how things go with the clinic and talking with those students here down the road. Uh, but thank in the you. meantime, I just want to take a moment and thank you for your service to the public interest uh, for over 12 years particularly in an area like this, and you see how it can impact so many areas of one's uh, life, particularly in the financial uh, side of things. And uh, you've, I think, shown or you will demonstrate our listeners so many ways in which they could benefit from this. So I thank you so much. And thanks for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. This was Granite Justice, a podcast collaboration of the UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law, 603 Legal Aid, New Hampshire Legal Assistance, the New Hampshire Campaign Legal Services, and the Granite State News Collaborative. Thanks for your time.